Praise God. It's good to have you here. Once again, we thank you so much for bearing with our construction as we are uh, repairing. But you know, when we repair, we don't just repair, we get better. So uh, we're repairing and, and, and restoring. But it, just like the Lord, when he restores, it's better than it was to start with. So that's the way it will be when it's all done. We apologize that tonight and tonight only the restrooms downstairs are closed. So if you do need to go during the service, there is a restroom right there and you're more than welcome to use it. Um, but let's just lock into what God's saying tonight. And I'd like to open, get you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Well, thank you for praying for me and with me as I was um, out of town this last weekend. Some of you who are regulars on Sunday know I wasn't there. I hear that you had a wonderful time. We want to thank Sister Brownie for doing such a wonderful job and preaching the word. Um, I was speaking to a group of college kids, and I need you to pray for me because college kids are starting to look young to me now. <laughs> I can't tell you how much that bothers me. <laughs> you know, they're supposed to be my peers, not, not young punks that need to hear the word. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 14. We've been reading through the book of Acts. It's been wonderful. Uh, we left off with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. You know, much of the gospel being spread in the early church happened by accident. Before this, it was all kind of accidental. I mean, it was purposeful that they preached the gospel. It was just an accident how they got there. They were running away from something. They were running away from the persecution in Jerusalem, so they spread out. Philip went down to Samaria. Uh, some believers went over to Antioch. Some believers went, you know, they just hit different directions. And it wasn't until Paul and Barnabas went on this trip that somebody actually went somewhere on purpose to break new ground and preach the gospel in a place that hadn't been preached. And for those of you that have been with us, you know that that started, it came out of a time of ministering to the Lord. You'll find that most good things in your life come out of ministering to the Lord. If there's no time set apart in your life to spend time with him, in his presence, ministering to him, worshiping him, allowing you just to, I mean, you know, the only, you, should, you shouldn't have the only time you spend with the Lord. That shouldn't just be the time you ask for things. God wants you to ask him for things. He wants you to come to him with every need that you have. The scripture says it. It says, be anxious for nothing, but with everything, through prayer and thanksgiving, make your uh, prayer petition through, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. So God wants you to come to him with every little thing and every big thing. That shouldn't be your only time with the Lord. Your, your time with the Lord shouldn't just be the things you need. I got my prayer list. Thank God for prayer lists. How many of you, you, how many of you have a prayer list? I got, you know what? I, I know that my memory, thank God the Holy Spirit brings things to your mem remembrance, but, but there's been plenty of times I say to somebody, I'm going to pray for you. And I want to keep my word when I say that. Yeah. I don't want to just say that as a goodbye, I got to get going. If I say I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray for your kid, I'm going to pray for your uncle, I want to do it. So that's why I need to write this down sometimes and remind myself, yeah, I got to pray for that. But sometimes you got to put your prayer list to the side for a minute and just spend time with him. Just spend time with him. Just minister to the Lord. Why don't you talk about how good he is? Why don't you let him speak to you? See, if you just stuck to the prayer list, thank God for it. But if you just stuck to that, you're setting the agenda. But if you let him speak, he's the one that sets the agenda. Now, in the relationship... Which one of you do you think should, should probably be setting the agenda? <laughs> probably him, right? <laughs> In fact, somebody said this once, and I thought it was just really smart. Uh, really, really good thing, and it stuck with me. But he said, in prayer, like in conversations in regular life, the, yeah, Bridget, I've already said it. She knows it. She cut me off on my punchline. <laughs> the one who knows the most should talk the most, Right? That's the, that's the case. You're, when you're a kid, you learn that real quick. Some kids never learn it to their detriment. <laughs> but you learn it when you're a teenager, you start to learn it. Because when you're a teenager, you actually think you're the one that knows the most. But then you start to learn it, you get more mature, and you start to learn, I don't know as much as I thought I knew. And you let the one who knows more than you speak a little bit more than you when you're in a conversation. Because you start to say, 
I got something to learn here. And when we talk with God, he knows more than we do. Thank God he's wise. Thank God he's, he's more than wise. I mean, wise, I mean he's, he's wise with a definition we don't even begin to understand. He is that wise. And so when he speaks to us, he wants to set the agenda. Now, he, he, you're going to be able to get to everything on that prayer list. Thank God. But let's spend some time just talking to him, just worshiping him, just ministering to the Lord. And, and you know, he likes that. And as many times in those times that he says something to you, you weren't expecting. That's the beauty of prayer, isn't it? That's the beauty of worship, that he would say something to you you didn't expect him to say. Because sometimes we go into prayer with such so regimented, so formatted that we think we know everything that's going to come up. I love when God surprises us. And I'm sure those people were a little surprised. Paul and Barnabas weren't too surprised because the Lord had already spoken to them, but they were, he confirmed it with the prophetic word. He said, set apart these two guys for a missionary trip. Send them. And they did. And they began, and as we've read, they went all the way up to a different Antioch. They went from Antioch to Antioch, which can be confusing. In fact, in the chapter we're about to read, there's two different Antiochs in there, and you wouldn't even know it because they both just say Antioch. So that's a bit confusing. There were 16 cities at the time called Antioch, as we talked about last week. So if you have your Bible map out there, it might be a little confusing. There's Antiochs all over the place. But uh, uh, they started from Antioch in Syria, which we're going to call Syrian Antioch, and they headed to something called Pisidian Antioch, and it wasn't technically in Pisidia. It was right next to Pisidia. And so this is an Antioch that's a little bit more um, towards what, what's modern-day Turkey now. And so they've gone in this direction, and uh, we've already seen some things that have happened. We're about to see them depart from Pisidian Antioch, and they're going to go to a new uh, section in Acts chapter 14. Tonight, I'd like to talk to you about something I've, I have talked to you about before. But since we're coming right across it, and you just can't ignore it in this passage, I'm going to talk a little bit about, and for those of you that have, we've already talked about this a little, just take this as building your foundation, as reaffirming some things. If this is the first time you've heard it, I pray that God would allow your heart to be receptive to it. The idea of what an open door means, because we're about to find at the end of this chapter, in fact, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert, at the end of this chapter... They were thanking God that a door of faith had been opened for the Gentiles. Listen to that, a door of faith. Now, there are doors in Ephesians chapter 6. The apostle Paul says, you know, I pray for you that utterance would be given to me. Pray for me that utterance would be given to me in the opening of my mouth that I might speak the word boldly, clearly, as it ought to be spoke. But we know that, um, that there's a door of utterance. But that door of utterance seems to always go along with a door of faith. You see, you can have grace on your life to speak the word of God. You can be a great preacher. You can, you can have a word from the Lord that will shake nations. But if nobody will receive it, it's not doing much good. Right? How many of you think Jesus was a good preacher? Anybody in the crowd think Jesus was a good preacher? I'm a little depressed by the hands that didn't go up. <laughs> I reckon he was pretty good. I figured he was good. So if Jesus was a great preacher, and he said that when he preached, he compared it to a sower sowing, the, sowing a seed, and three-quarters of the people he mentions in that little parable don't, really get, don't, don't bear fruit for a very long time. The first group he talks about doesn't receive it to start with. They got a hardened heart. The word bounces off their heart, and it's immediately stolen away by the devil. The second group has such a shallow heart that they get excited at the meeting, but nothing happens after. The third heart is so busy that while they receive the word and it's borne fruit in their life in the past, they're too busy for it to really have the room it needs to grow and it gets to be choked out. Here's a side note for you. This is really not the topic tonight. But a side note on that is that <laughs> the room required when you first receive the word is not the same room in your heart that's going to require as it grows. So sometimes the room in your heart when you first received it was enough. You had enough room to receive it. But it's going to grow. So maybe sometimes, you know, you notice in the parable of the, the sower, when he talks about the thorny heart, it says it becomes unfruitful. 
Now, he says the, the ground was thorny from the moment the seed was sown. But it wasn't until it had grown for a while that those thorns choked it out. Why? Because the seed, the word, will always get bigger in your heart. So you can't just say, you know what, my schedule is it's going to stay the same. It's always good. You can't just say the amount of prayer time. You can't just say the amount of room I've given God in my heart will always be the same. Because if you want to grow, things have to shift and things have to change. And, and the room you had to start with might not be the room you need two, two years down the road. So anyways, if Jesus is a good preacher... And a bunch of, you know, you had one group that wouldn't even receive it from the moment he preached it, another group that barely received it, and a third group that was too busy for it to really grow in their life. And only the fourth group did it really bear 30, 60, 100-fold fruit. Then, then we take from that, we understand from that, it's not just about how good the preacher is. It's not just about how good the sermon is. You can go all over the world and hear the best sermons from the best preachers, and it won't do you any good if you can't receive the word. It won't do you any good if you can't receive it, right? So here we're looking at the scripture, and so we see that there is a door of utterance. That door of utterance is almost exactly synonymous with the door of faith, because a door of utterance, because Paul could always preach, couldn't he? It wasn't about whether he could preach or not, but it was about whether there was a door for people to receive the word. And at the end of this chapter, we're going to get there, but I want to give you an advance notice so it'll shape the way we read it. At the end of this chapter, he's back in Syrian Antioch, praising God that a door of faith had been opened to the Gentiles. Now, we need to talk about what an open door looks like. And I've, I know, bear with me if you've heard this before, because I know we've preached on this before, but it's so important because, you know, you'll be around many Christians that will tell you or, or maybe not tell you, but imply that an open door, you'll know the open door because the circumstance and the situation will just be perfect. <laughs> it wasn't Anita that told you that. <laughs> You might not have heard it that way, but you might have heard it in reverse. How many of you have heard at some point, we were going to go out and witness, or we were going to go out and do this, but it was raining. It must not have been God's will. I was going to go out and do this, but I broke my leg. I guess God didn't want me to go out and do that. How many of you have heard something like that? Do you know what they're saying? They're saying tough circumstances did tell us, circumstances tell us the will of God. But if that were true... None of this stuff in the book of Acts ever would have happened. Because they all would have stood at home in the corner going, I guess God wants me to stay in the corner. I guess God wants me to stay in the corner. Because as soon as I go outside, people are trying to kill me. <laughs> How many of you remember when the Apostle Paul said, a door has opened for me? He said it to the Corinthian church. He said, a door has opened for me in Ephesus. In fact, I'm going to read it to you just so you can see it. Praise God. If you guys just keep receiving like you're receiving right now, we might be here all night. So, Or maybe we'll get through it faster. I don't know. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8, he says, I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door, did I tell you where that was found? 1 Corinthians 16, 8. I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door. How many of you like wide doors to be open for you? That's not a judgment on your girth. That's just a judgment on, as we walk through a door, it sure is nice when it's wide open for us, isn't it? I like when a door is obviously open. I like when I know that I'm not having to push it open. And it's supposed to be open, right? Because I feel like when I'm pushing a door open, that's me. That's my flesh. That's, that's my ability. But when God opens a door, Jesus said, I'm the one who holds the keys. And when I open a door, people can't shut it. And when I shut a door, people sure can't open it. So I want to I go through that door. That's the door I like, the one that he opens. So he says, a wide door for effective ser service has opened to me. Who do you figure opened that door for him? Yeah, the Lord opened the door. People can't open a door like that. He says, a wide door. So first of all, it's wide open. Thank God. Second of all, what's through the door is an opportunity for effective service. I don't know if you catch the, the, the significance of a phrase like effective service. Because you remember, it was something very similar that kept Paul on the planet. Yes. Yeah. 
when he was deciding whether to live or die, what did he say? He says, if I stay, it will mean fruitful labor. Some of you are working too hard with, <laughs> because you decided what you're going to do instead of letting God decide what you're going to do. And you're working real hard. The Apostle Paul calls it beating the air. Boxing and beating the air. You're, you're going to get tired. You're, you're still going to get tired, but you're not, you're not making any damage to the other guy. You're just hitting the air. You ever seen one of those guys, you see the big guy in the ring, and he's swinging, and you got somebody that's quick, and they're dodging, and that big guy, hoo, hoo, you know, if one of those things landed, that, that little dude's in trouble, right? Now, these, these matches don't happen very often in regular boxing because they've got weight differences, but, you know, you see somebody who's way faster, and you see somebody who's slower but bigger, and uh, the, the goal of that little guy, what he's trying to do is get out of the way enough so the big guy just misses him enough that he gets tired and he makes dumb mistakes, some people, including me, at certain times in our life, have done things because we thought it was the right thing to do, but it wasn't what God told us to do. Right. We ended up beating the air. Still got tired, <laughs> still got worn out, but it wasn't God's idea. Yes. I want to go through a door that has effective service. Yes. That means when you work for the Lord, yes. it's doing something. Fruitful labor. That means when I do the work, there is fruit from it. Now, it may not be the fruit the world looks for. It's not always as obvious, but it's fruit, and you'll know it. He says, a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So if a door is defined as perfect circumstances, he doesn't seem to have found it. His door, his wide door, I want you to think about what it looks like. For a wide door to be open to you. Picture that. Now I'm thinking, whatever, whatever God's calling you to, what would it look like if a door was wide open? Now I'm going to tell you, honestly, most of our brains go straight to everything's already set up, it's easy, you just walk in. But here he says, there's a wide door, I see it. And there's a ton of adversaries. There's a ton of people standing in the doorway trying to keep me from going through. He says, that's why I'm staying. That's why I got to stay here. Because I I know when you know a door has been opened by the Lord, you stay until you go through the door. It doesn't matter who stands against you. It doesn't matter who lines up against you. It doesn't matter what they say. You stay until you break through because that door is worth going through. When he opens a door, it doesn't matter how many people are against you. They can't shut the door. They can slow you down going through the door, but they can't shut the door. Because when he opens a door, no man can shut it. So the, the, it's bad news for them because they're on a losing game. All you got to do is stay, endure, keep going, and trust God you're going to break through that door. Because it's already open. And adversaries, the Bible says, therefore, if, if who, what, am I, what kind of person am I going to fear? If God is for me. Who am I afraid of? If God is for me, who will I be afraid of? Whom shall I fear? Thank God. So what kind of adversary are you afraid of? Because I'm sure hoping there's nothing. There's not a, there's not a person on the planet that can shut a door God opens, right? In Acts chapter 14, they find themselves in Iconium. And they entered the synagogue of the Jews together. Remember when we left off, the apostle Paul said, we're turning to the Gentiles And in that city they began to, and the Gentiles rejoiced, but it didn't mean they were deserting the Jews altogether. You'll notice every place they went, they hit the synagogues first because they wanted to give an opportunity for the local Jewish population. Also, this is where you found a lot of hungry Gentiles, people that weren't allowed to be full-fledged Jews. They were proselytes. They had believed in the one true God. They showed up for synagogue to learn and to hear. And you often find some people that were ready for the word. So they'd always hit the synagogue first. And they, they go to the synagogue in Iconium, and it says... They spoke in in such a manner that a large number of people believed. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? There was a way that they spoke that caused a lot of people to believe. I believe they spoke in the power of the Holy Spirit. A large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. Praise the Lord for that. But the Jews who disbelieved, did you know there's only two groups? When someone speaks this way under the power of the Holy Spirit, there's only two groups of people. Those that believe and those that disbelieve. 
You might think you can come to church and be neither, but you can't. You can't come to church and just be neutral. You can't hear the word and be neutral. You're either believing or you're disbelieving. And I would strongly urge you to get in the camp of the believer. That's where you should stay. That's, that's, that's where you're pleasing to God. Without faith, it's impossible. So you've got believers and you've got disbelieving uh, Jews. And these are the leaders here. Some of the leaders. Now, some of the leaders believed. Some didn't. And those who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, listen to this. So here's what he's saying. He's got a group of people that are so ticked off by what they said that they are going not just to their own little group, but they're going over to the Gentiles and then stirring them up and saying, do you hear what they're saying? And trying to get them angry. Now look at the next verse. It doesn't seem to fit. Everybody's mad at them. There's, there's people ready to riot. Therefore, they spent a long time there. Huh? <laughs> Does that make any sense to you? Do you think the translators messed this up or something? <laughs> Do you ever feel that way? You know, I was just, uh, <laughs> I was in a place and I was preaching the word of God. or I, I was doing what the Lord told me and a lot of people were against me and, and people hated me and they were, they were mad at me and they're trying to hurt me. So, you know, naturally I spent more time there. <laughs> See, we're used to wanting to spend a lot of time where we're wanted. Therefore, it's not just and they spent a long time there. It's just therefore. This is the reason they spent a bunch of time there. Because they knew there was a door open. And we're going to keep hitting it until we go through it. Now, there's, there's adversaries, but they're going to wear out before we do. Because we're relying on his strength. They're just doing their own thing. So they spent a long time there doing what? Speaking boldly. Here's a key. With reliance upon the Lord. That's how you do it. Now, see, if you're trying to encounter adversaries, now whether they be spiritual or, or natural, can I tell you, even if, it's, even if it seems to be people, the Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood. Even it seems like people are opposing you. It's really spiritual, isn't it? So either way, whether I, well, I say it was spiritual or natural, but we know even natural adversaries, ultimately that's a spiritual issue. And it says, here's, here's how you stand against it. You don't just, just trust that you're stronger. You don't just trust that you can outweigh them. But you, you rely on the Lord. That's what we got to do. That's the only way you win. You rely on the Lord. They were speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord. That's right. What was the Lord doing? It says the Lord was testifying to the word of his grace granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. So when they relied on him, he says, okay, you want to rely on me? All right, I'm going to do some miracles. I'm going to show off. You rely on me, I'm going to show off. And that's exactly what happened. So miracles were happening, signs and wonders. And I know, I, I, you know, listen, if, if, if the only group that was going to believe was the group that first believed, they would have left. There obviously were people that started out disbelieving that they stayed there for. Because listen, if there was only one group, if there was the believers and disbelievers, and those groups weren't going to budge, as soon as the first group believed, get out of town, hit the next town. But here's what they did. They stayed there because there's some people that are on the fence. There's some people that have set their hearts against God, but God can soften those hearts. There will, there will always be some that reject don't give up so quickly. Some of you got family members like this. Some of you have coworkers like this. Some of you have friends like this. And you say it's been so long and their hearts seem so hard. Rely on the Lord and watch him testify to the word of his grace. Granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. In verse 4, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it, and they fled to the cities of Laconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. What I find interesting about this, and you'll find it in a minute, there are times where people want to beat them, throw them in prison, kill them, and they just stay. And there's times when they leave. I learned this when I was a young, young guy because my dad taught me it, and my mom taught me it. They taught us this right away. They said, as long as God's called you to a place and you're supposed to be there, 
There's nothing that can stop you. It doesn't matter what's going on. My first trip to Asia was going right into a war zone when white people were the ones being targeted, getting their heads chopped off. And we knew, we never felt so safe. You felt safe because you were, you're like, God, God's called us here, we're safe. But the minute he tells you to go, you go. You don't stay around because, see, this is what happens to some people, they get arrogant. Because they've been fine, they've been protected, they've been under the hand of God. And so they get arrogant thinking, it doesn't matter, it doesn't affect me. But when the Lord tells you to leave, you get out of town. Don't stick around, get out of town. When he tells you to stay, who cares who's against you? When he tells you to go, you better obey. Classic story, I've told you this before, is when my dad first went to the Philippines and, and they were coming back from Mindanao and they were in Manila about to fly back over to Canada. And uh, in Manila, their flight that they were supposed to be on somehow got overbooked or something. I don't know exactly what happened. But I do know that they told them they couldn't get on the plane. And after much struggling with the uh, reservations agent, um, my dad and the, and the man who was with him said, all right, we're not getting on this plane. They, be, they were going to go back to their hotel, which I believe was the Hotel Intercontinental in Manila, wasn't it? Hotel Intercontinental in Manila. And they were going to go back to the hotel and try again tomorrow. When they were about to leave, the Holy Spirit said to my father, really, really just strongly and plainly, go back and get on that plane. So he goes back, and he, he fights until he gets on that plane. And we saw on the news, that the, and we saw on the news, and it was, it was all over, even Canadian news, the very next day, rebels took over that hotel that they would have been staying in and took everybody inside it hostage. So you just, you just, you learn, you know. See, I mean, during that trip, they had people firing at them and things like that. And they weren't afraid. But when the Lord says, get on the plane, get on the plane. Just get on the plane because you have not been the one protecting yourself here. Sometimes it's easy to get arrogant. Don't get arrogant. You've been relying on the Lord up to this point. Keep relying on him. And when he says, stay, stay. When he says, go, go. I know that sounds so simple. It's something we should have learned as toddlers, but it's something sometimes we struggle with because you start to get some momentum or you start to feel like I can do anything. And you still got to remember without him, you can do nothing. Obey the sound of his voice. They leave the city and it's a good thing. They get out of there and they continue to preach the gospel. So just because they left doesn't mean they're going to give up. They didn't leave and say, I guess, it's, I guess we shouldn't preach around here. It's dangerous. No, they just said, all right, we're done with that town. We've, we've hit it. We're gonna, we're gonna, those, we've already started something. We sowed the seeds. We're getting out of this town. We're going to go to the next one. At Lystra, a man who was sitting, who had no strength in his feet. He was lame from his mother's womb. He had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke who when he had fixed his gaze on him and he had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. What, a, what an awesome story, isn't it? This guy is hearing the gospel being preached. He's hearing, I imagine, you know, what do you think Paul's preaching? I don't think Paul's, Paul's not preaching out of the book of Acts. It hasn't been written yet. Paul's not preaching out of the epistles. They haven't been written yet. If he's preaching the gospel, he's preaching Jesus. Yeah. So I imagine that this man is hearing how Jesus healed the lame. He's hearing how Jesus healed the blind. Now, most of us, when we hear how Jesus healed it, we go, what a great story. Isn't Jesus good? But this man did something that we should all do. He's hearing Jesus healed the lame. Jesus healed the blind. Jesus cleansed the lepers. Jesus raised the dead. And at some point, that changes from Jesus healed them to Jesus can heal me. And Paul stops the sermon for that guy, seeing that he had faith to be made well. Once again, it's not, it's not that God's just randomly picking people in the crowd. Can you believe? This man believed. And his faith was enough for Paul to quit talking and say, get up on your feet. The man who'd never been able to walk obeyed the word of the Lord. And when his brain told his feet to get up, the Lord supplied the strength to his legs that he never had and rejuvenated the muscles. Guys, don't you know, even if you're cured of whatever caused you to be lame to start with, after years and years of not walking, your muscles would be so underdeveloped. So not only did God cure whatever needed to be cured, he, put, he, he strengthened the muscles. If he had to put new muscles, I don't know what he did. But those, those legs weren't just kind of made well. 
This guy didn't just kind of creep up to his feet. He leapt up. He jumped up on his feet, and he began to walk. Thank God. Now, a few weeks ago, we, we actually skipped ahead and read the story that's about to come. So I'm not going to go through all of that. I'm going to remind you what happens is, is that the people of the city see this miracle, and they figure that Paul and Barnabas are gods, and they bring offerings to them. Paul and Barnabas rush into the crowd, tear their clothes, and say, we're not gods. We're just like you. But God who made the heavens and the earth, this God, he's the one that healed this man. And they began to preach the gospel to them. And the people who were so willing to offer sacrifices to them and to call them gods, they're really fickle. (laughs) And in a minute, you're about to see how fickle they are. Because it says this. We're going to skip down once again because we've we've already preached this. (laughs) In verse 19... Jews came from Antioch. Now, this is not the Antioch that sent them on their first missionary journey. I told you this would be a little confusing. This is the Pisidian Antioch. This is the Antioch they were, they were at, you know, in chapter 13. This is, this is the one further north. And there, there's been a bunch of groupies. You guys are familiar with the term groupies, right? And I, I don't mean it in a, in a bad way. I just mean people that follow a band around. So I'm not... Let's, talk about, let's just talk about Christian band groupies. They don't go further than that. They just follow them everywhere and, and buy their T-shirts and, you know, bring signs, right? We know what groupies are. These are really bad groupies. These are the ones that follow you around because they hate you. Yes. Everybody want a fan club like that? <laughs> you want a fan club of people that hate you and are so dedicated to hate you? I mean, think about it. It'd be easy now. You start a website, start our Twitter account, Facebook page talking about how terrible these people are, make a YouTube video. Here, they had to be dedicated to it. Do you know it's like 100 miles from the Pisidian Antioch to the final destination of where they went? Like, these guys were dedicated to hating these guys, to shutting them down. They had to leave their jobs. They had to leave their families behind. Honey, why are you going away for two weeks? I really just hate what that guy said. No, I really hate it. And I need to make other people hate it. We're going to kill that guy. All right, wow. But do you see what's happening? There's demonic powers being stirred up to stop the gospel and they're using people. But there's not a power in heaven, on earth, or under the earth that can stand against the name of Jesus. Here's what happens. This group follows him. My goodness. From Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, some people say he was dead and was resurrected. Some people say he just looked like he was dead. It does say here they thought he was dead, so it seems like he wasn't quite dead. But whether he was so near death that these people who were real good at stoning guys, like this wasn't their first rodeo. These are the folks that, you know, have a, have a favorite rock they bring just in case. <laughs> they stone him so bad. Now, if you don't know what stoning is, it's, that's some, sometimes they'd use a cliff and throw somebody down a cliff, a, a steep embankment, and throw big rocks down at them. Sometimes it would be something a little bit like, more, more like you could throw and just hit at the right spot, D- different ways. But either way, you're dying because of blunt force trauma to the head, to the vital organs, your bones are being broken, you're damaged. Whether he died or whether he was so close to death that they thought he was dead, I think it's going to need a miracle either way, yeah? They dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead, so he had to be pretty bad. He's either dead or he's real close for this to happen. They drag him out of the city and they just leave him there. It says in verse 20, But while the disciples stood around them, now, I don't have time to talk about this, but that phrase is a big one to me. A guy just got stoned to death for believing what you believe. Is your instinct to go and stand around him? Now, I think they're standing around him for two reasons. Number one, I think they're standing around him so no more damage gets done to his body. Number two, if they're disciples like you and me, they're praying for him. 
I'm sure somebody, I'm sure some, some praying in tongues has gone on. I'm sure somebody's down laying hands on him. As they gather around him, he gets up. <laughs> Can you imagine this? He gets up. Oh, Paul, thank God you're okay. Better than okay. Look at you. You're up. You're not dead. Praise the Lord. What miracle has happened? Let's get out. Paul, where are you going? <laughs> Guys, catch him. He's been hit in the head too many times. He's walking the wrong way. Paul, it's the wrong way. <laughs> It's the wrong way, Paul. <laughs> the word is not hindered. <laughs> Come back. You've been shaken. You've been stirred. You're stunned. Somebody catch him. He's going to go back and they're going to stone him again. Paul knows where he's going, but he's not done yet. When the door opens, keep kicking until you get through it. <laughs> What kind of maniac goes back into the city? They just tried to kill him and came pretty close, if not completed the task. He gets up and goes into the city. The next day, they go with Barnabas to Derbe. They're going to hit the next city. Don't you think he's earned a sabbatical? <laughs> he's earned a little vacation? <laughs> Take a boat somewhere, Paul. Come on, man. <laughs> you could take a break. No, he's not done. A door's been opened. Effective service. Oh, man, I get inspired by this. He goes to Derbe. After they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. Praise God, that's what's supposed to happen when you preach the gospel. You know, and they stuck around there to make sure they'd made some disciples, not just had a quick meeting, got out of town when people prayed a prayer. They stuck around to disciple these folks, make sure there's going to be something that stuck when they left. Thank God for it. Because because of that, there were believers there the next time they came. It wasn't just a, oh, you're going to heaven now, let's see you, see you later. Now, I understand there are some evangelists who have to do that, but they've often, the ones that are successful, have connected with local churches and local believers so there can be some follow-up here. These guys stuck around and made some disciples. Made sure that these people weren't just, okay, you're going to heaven, have fun. They knew something. They were, they were able to stand and they were able to set something up so that when they returned, there'd still be a work there. And made many disciples. They returned to Lystra. Why are you going back to Lystra? This is crazy town. Lystra is crazy town. They either offer you sacrifices because they think you're Hermes and Zeus or they stone you to death. Either way, it's not the place I want to go. But they go back, and then they went to Iconium, and then back to Antioch. On their way, they're hitting these places. See, on the way back, there's groups of believers that are, have stayed strong and have grown while they've been away. On the way back, they strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And here's what they said. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. What are they saying? Nobody said this was going to be easy, guys. That's right. We've got some stories to tell you about that. As they went through every, can you imagine when they went back to Lystra and the disciples are wide-eyed and said, you're back. Said, so guys, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Do you notice it says through? When Psalm 23 is written, it says we walk through the valley. You don't stay there. You don't camp there. You're on your way through. Because a person who stands in the power of God and relies on the Spirit of God, that tribulation does not own you. That tribulation can't stop you. It can't kill you. You keep going until you've accomplished your task. He says, through many tribulations, we might, it, it may attack us. We're going to be attacked from all sides. Jesus said, I promise you, I give, I'm giving you peace. I'm giving you everything you ever need. I'm giving all things pertaining to life and godliness. But you will have people persecute you. You will have people that hate you because they hated me. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Don't worry about them. So Paul's saying, guys, don't take this as evidence that God wasn't with us. And this is why it's so important, just to get back to our original point, this is why it's so important that you know the will of God for your life. 
You can't just look at what the circumstances are and think that's God telling you something. That's right. Come on. Come can God speak through a circumstance? Yes, he can. But his primary method of speaking to you is through his word, through the spirit, through that voice. If you're led by whether the situation is favorable or whether it's not favorable, you're just going to be thrown around by fate. You're you're just a fatalist. You're not a follower of God. So you've got to know on your way to where God's taking you, there's going to be stuff that tries to stop you. There's going to be people that try to stop you. They are not indicators that God is mad. They're not indicators that God's trying to teach you something. They're not indicators that God is punishing you. They are just indicators that you're doing something good and there's opposition. If you're doing something for the Lord, there will be opposition. What did Jesus say when he talked about that rocky heart? He said, persecution arises because of the word. Because of the word. Somebody's trying to stop the word and it's not God. God's not trying to stop the word. See, if persecution was from God, why would Paul tell Timothy, pray for all our government rulers and all who are in authority that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness? That would go against the will of God, wouldn't it? It wasn't God's will for persecution, but he tells you, you're going to encounter it because you're in a world where people believe and people disbelieve. You're in a world that is in rebellion against the king. So while you are a messenger for the king, you carry his name, you carry his banner, you carry his authority, there will be rebels that want to stop you. But nobody can shut a door that God's opened. And the only time you don't go through that door is when you give up. But I urge you, speak with boldness and rely on the Holy Spirit and watch God testify. Let God be the one that proves he is God. Not your job to prove he's God. It's your job to stand and bear his name and he'll use your hands to prove he's God. He'll use your voice to prove it, but he's the one that's going to do the proving. You've got nothing to prove. He's going to prove who he is. Here's what he says. Here's how it ends says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting. Do you notice these guys don't put anybody in any position? If you've followed from the seven deacons to Paul and Barnabas being sent out to this group being made elders and, and pastors in their churches, do you notice they don't put anybody in a position without prayer and fasting? It's not just like, oh, well, this guy seems like the best guy for the job. This lady seems like she's qualified. No, no, no. They pray, they fast. They're not going to send them. They're not just going to leave them there. They're going to fight. And here's what they do. So they pray and they fast, and they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That's so cool. They passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia. And when they'd spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch. Now, this is a different Antioch. This is why it's so confusing. This is the Antioch that they started from. This is their, their point A. This is Antioch in Syria, where that great church began, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. Isn't it good to come home and say, I accomplished what, you, what we were sent out to do? Isn't that a great feeling? They didn't come home till they could say, we accomplished what we were sent to do. And it says, when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. A door does not necessarily look like the world thinks a door looks like. A door is not obvious to someone who is not spiritually discerning. The Bible says that he who is natural cannot judge the things that are spiritual. But he that's spiritual appraises all things. So a spiritual person looks and is able to tell, oh, okay, all right, I can see what's going on there. A spiritual person can see that there are forces at work to oppose. A spiritual person can know. Well, now, what do you, come on, let me explain what a spiritual person is. Because some of you think a spiritual person is somebody that acts like they're in a trance 24-7. Somebody that walks around on cloud two and, and you know, it constantly has like, you know, 
so strange, you know, harp music playing as they walk, or they they got their eyes rolled in the back of their head, or or they they talk in fancy words that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. I tell you what a spiritual person is. A spiritual person is just somebody like you, somebody like you. Nobody's called to be a spiritual person. Uh, What I mean is, there's not a special person in a church that's a spiritual person. There's not, there's not five people amongst a hundred that are called to be spiritual. We're all called to be spiritual. All right? So when I say a spiritual person, I'm not talking about a special person. I'm talking about you who's got the Spirit of God living inside of you, who's been born again, born of the Spirit. Now, you've got to train yourself to think spiritually and to see spiritually by renewing your mind to the things of the Spirit. You've got to train yourself. You've got to know. And when you know his voice, you'll follow it. This door shows up in every area of your life. There's going to be doors open for you. You need to be able to recognize them. For every door that God opens, the enemy is terrified. And when the enemy is terrified, he stirs up opposition. But what I just read to you, what we read together... We just found out that this was some of the most intense attacks I've ever seen or ever heard of thrown against Paul and Barnabas. Was there a city they didn't hit that they were trying to hit? Was there a group of believers they were trying to preach to that didn't, that didn't, get, uh, didn't get preached to, didn't, didn't receive? Was there any part of their mission they didn't accomplish? No. They did everything they set out to do. Everything God told them to do, got accomplished. Now this, to me, looks like the enemy throwing everything he's got. And it still couldn't stop the word. Whatever the door is in your life, whatever area God has placed you, whatever moments he's placed you where you see a door is open and there's effectual service for you, there's fruitful labor for you, there's an opportunity for you to preach the gospel. Not only is there a door of utterance, but there's a door of faith to receive. When that happens, be assured, there'll be adversaries. But don't focus on the adversaries. Focus on those that have faith to receive. So it's your job. You got one guy who wants to hear what you have to say and two guys that are yelling, hey, don't listen to him. Shut up, man. They're going to go and report you for spreading your faith on the job. But if that one guy believes, what can man do to me? You go into a, a new, you go to a family reunion, and they don't want to hear it. Don't talk about your church stuff, oh, your cult stuff, whatever you believe. Ugh. And they fight you, and they fight you, and they fight you. But you got that one uncle, you got that one cousin, you got that sibling who just keeps asking you questions. A door's been opened. You don't have to be obnoxious, but you do have to listen to the voice of the Spirit. And don't be dissuaded, dissuaded by what people are going to say or do to you. For if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is with you, what can man do to you? Amen. Amen. I believe that God's opening doors for you even right now. In fact, I'm going to pray over you. Father, that in Jesus' name, I thank you that these are sons and daughters of the king. They've been called out. They've been set apart. They've been given a mission, a commission, a purpose. So, Lord, you don't call anybody that you're not willing to equip. Everybody that's been called, and they've all been called, they've been equipped with your word, with your power, with your spirit, with your grace. And I'm asking, Lord, that right now their eyes would be open to see the doors that you've opened. That their eyes would be open and their ears would be open so that they would know the voice of the shepherd. And a stranger's voice they would not follow because they don't know the voice of strangers. Lord, would you just sharpen their discernment? Sharpen their discernment so they know the difference between a door that somebody else opened or they opened and a door that you opened. And when you open the door, give them the strength, the courage, the faith, the love, the grace to walk through it and refuse to give up until they've walked through it. I pray, Lord, that every adversary that's risen up against them, every no weapon formed against them will prosper. Every tongue that's risen up in judgment, we condemn it right now in the name of Jesus. They would be fearless in the face of danger. That they would be just so persistent that not a power on earth or under the earth could stop them until they've accomplished what you sent them to do. 
In Jesus' name. Friends, I know that some of you do not consider yourself to be called. Sometimes you might have heard somebody say, well, I knew I was called when I was eight years old. But that person's talking about what they were called to be and who they were called to be. Every believer is called. You might not be called to the same thing I'm called to, but you're called. You've been called. So please, tonight, open your hearts to God. And don't exclude yourself from his ministry. For we've all been made ministers of reconciliation. God loves the world. And he has sent you into the world to bring sons and daughters home. And how you're going to do it is not like the same way everybody else is going to do it. You're unique and your ministry is unique. And while you'll learn from other people and while, while you're not going to be arrogant and say, I'll do it my own way, at the same time, don't think it's going to be like everything you've seen or heard before. It may be completely unique and completely different. Just be open. Say, God, whatever you want to do, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm available. Use me. And he will. He's looking for available people. He's not looking for the smartest. He's not looking for the strongest. He's just looking for the willing. Because he's able to take the weak and make them strong. He's able to take the not so smart and give them the wisdom of God and make them confound the wise. He's, he's able to take those that don't have very classy culture. As 1 Corinthians 1 says, those that are not considered noble, he's able to make them so that they make those, those noble people spin their heads. Your background, your training, your education is not a part of this equation. What's part of this is will you trust God? Will you speak boldly and rely on his spirit? Whatever he's called you to do, whoever he's called you to be, just do it with all your heart and rely on him at every step of the way. Know the voice of God because if you don't know the voice of God, you won't know when to stay and when to go. Because friends, you can't look at what's going on around you as an indication of whether you're supposed to stay or to go. As we just read, that, that's not a good indicator. You've got to know the voice of God. You've got to be able to hear his voice. His voice may not always be that audible voice that shakes your room. Most of the time, it's going to be that voice that you hear in your spirit. And it's going to be confirmed. He'll use other people to confirm it. He'll use his word to confirm it. But it will be confirmed. I want you to keep your ears wide open. Because you, you can't just go into a, a war zone. You can't just go into an area where there's much opposition without hearing the voice of your king that sent you. A soldier doesn't go into the field without knowing his orders and really doesn't want to be in the field if he can't hear when new orders come in. I trust you. I don't trust you because you're trustworthy. I trust you because you've got the Spirit of God in you. Trust that voice. Lord, we just trust you. We rely on you. Send us out. Would you guys stand with me? Send us out, Lord.